Thanks, musicians. If you have your Bible, let's go to Hebrews chapter 10, please. Hebrews 10. This is one of my favorite Sundays of the Christmas season when we have that children's program. And I'm just grateful. And in case you, maybe you're a guest or something, uh, I did not mean anything disrespectful to Levon when I made that crack. Um, we have a, a joke that goes on. I mean, she has been part of this church, uh, the longest of our entire church family, and just uh, her and her family's fingerprints are all over this place, and it's, uh, I'm so grateful for the family, and you know, this, it's carrying out the tradition of doing this. She did it for years, and now her children are doing it, grandchildren are involved with it, and it's just a wonderful thing. Hebrews chapter 10 is going to be our text, it's page 1006, if you're using one of the Bibles provided for you there in the seat. And um, uh, we're going to be in this text and then a few others uh, this, uh, uh, this morning for the next few minutes here. Um, uh, we've been looking at uh, this Advent series called The Christmas Effect, uh, how the incarnation, and that's the theological term for when Jesus became man, and He became uh, born, He was incarnate, uh, bring, bringing on flesh, and we've been looking at this over the last several weeks of how this influences us and it should change us. Uh, I came across this in an Advent devotional I'm reading this year, David Matheson's. It's called The Christmas We Didn't Expect. It's a really good devotional booklet, uh, one small reading each day leading up into Christmas. And I've been reading that this, uh, this year, and uh, uh, a couple days ago this was part of the, uh, the, the reading. It said this, December is the single most distinctive month in our society, and Christmas the most distinctive day. It has its own special decor and music. It has the most distinguishing feel. Now, Christmas lies less than a week away, and we cannot miss it. Christmas confronts us and affects us. It makes us either more like Scrooge or more like the shepherds who glorified and praised God. Come December 26th, we will be different to some degree, whether more like Herod or more like the Magi, who rejoiced exceedingly with great joy that we find in Matthew chapter 2. So we've looked at joy, we've looked at the Christmas effect of peace, we've looked at humility, and today what we want to look at, we want to look at this idea of faithfulness. And this is the influence or the effect that this Advent season should have on us. So if I was going to summarize what this uh, short sermon is going to be about today, it would be this, uh, Jesus' faithfulness enables our faithfulness, okay? So Jesus' faithfulness enables our faithfulness. That's what we're going to look at today. Or next few minutes. But let me just pause and ask God's uh, blessing on our time together in the Word, and then we'll go through this uh, this morning. Father, thank You for the opportunity for us to open Your Word. Thank You for the opportunity for us to uh, look at this um, uh, series and this idea of how Christmas should affect us and influence us. And again, I want to thank You for the message of the, the children's program and all the hard work that went into that. And and the breakfast this morning, we truly have some wonderful opportunities to fellowship and worship and celebrate uh, this wonderful uh, thing called Christmas. And thank you for what it means. And I pray that as we spend time looking at a couple different texts of Scripture this morning, that it would 
uh, bring honor to you. And I pray for me as I, as I communicate, God. I, I pray that I communicate in a way that is helpful, that is accurate to the Scriptures, and uh, that is led by your Spirit, because only, only uh, your Spirit can accomplish what needs to be accomplished today. And so this is what we're praying for this morning, and we ask for your blessing. In Christ's name we do pray. Amen. So I've had you go to uh, Hebrews chapter 10, and this was a text that was read earlier during the Advent uh, candle lighting. And let me just read verses 5 through 7 one more time to refresh our memories. It says, Consequently, when Christ came into the world, He said, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me, and burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as is written of me in the scroll of the book. Let me just give you a little idea of what's happening in this text here. Uh, Really, the author of Hebrews, and we're not exactly certain who the human author of this book is or was, but but this person, he's going through an argument, and really a lot of people think that this is a sermon of sorts, that he's that is being proclaimed and being teaching about how Jesus is superior to everything else. And here he's talking about how that Jesus' sacrifice on the cross was a once-for-all sacrifice. And it's a, it's a contrast to the Old Testament Levitical system of having to offer sacrifices over and over again. And so this is what he's talking about here. But then we get this little snippet here, and he's actually quoting an Old Testament text here. But he, he says that when Christ came into the world, okay, and so this is the why we tie it to Christmas. So as he was coming into the world, he said, sacrifices and offerings you have not desired. Now you think, well, wait a minute here. I I thought that he wanted the sacrificial system in the Old Testament. Well, all that was a shadow of what was to come, and all that was to show how that no matter what we did, it was going to be insufficient. And so we needed Jesus's once-for-all sacrifice. Later on in this text, we won't take time to look at it, but later on in the same chapter, we're going to see that the author of Hebrews makes it a point to say that after Jesus did this, after he made his sacrifice, he sat down. And that shows that he was done. It's in contrast to the priest of the Old Testament who they had to stand continually and keep offering sacrifice after sacrifice after sacrifice. Their job was never done because it never dealt with the root issue of the heart of man. But Jesus' sacrifice did. And so, so this, is, this is what he's, he's contrasting here in this chapter here. And so how we're going to frame this, we're going to talk first of all about Jesus' faithfulness and then our faithfulness. That's how we're going to frame this discussion. And, and I'm talking about here from Hebrews 10 of Jesus' faithfulness. And I just told you how that Jesus came with a mission, right? He came with a mission, and it was a mission that the, before eternity passed or before the creation of the world, we know that this was in place. And in Ephesians chapter 1, it says that before the, the foundations of the earth, these things were put into place. And so this was a plan from the beginning. And when Jesus came on that Christmas season, that first Christmas day, many, many years ago, he came with a mission, right? And here we see it was in verse 7, I have come to do your will. And this idea of sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings in verse 5 and 6, really those are all the different terms that the Hebrews used for the four main types of offerings. And so he's just basically saying all of the sacrificial system was insufficient. And my mission, the mission that I'm coming to do, the will that I'm coming to do is to make a once-for-all sacrifice for sins. 
You see, the birth of Jesus Christ, which we celebrate, being born in a manger, we have a little manger up there, the, the, the great decorations that our, our people do for us here, and it reminds us of how, how a baby was born, and we've talked about that. We talked about the, the idea of humility last week, of how this was just a wonderful thing. But the whole mission that Jesus came to do was to be born, to live a perfect life of obedience, and then die a death that He did not deserve to die. And then rise again, thereby conquering sin and death and, and satisfying the demands of sin so that then that righteousness and that forgiveness could be offered to us. And this was the will that Jesus came to fulfill. Now, you, you'll remember that, that or I think I shared this, I think it was last week or maybe uh, two, three weeks ago, about how the, in, in Jesus, in, the, in John chapter 4, uh, He says, My food is to do the will of the Father. And so his whole purpose of coming was to accomplish the mission of bringing forgiveness of sins. I say, yeah, I get that, Jeremy, but I, I don't want us to miss that today. I don't want us to miss that it required a tremendous amount of faithfulness. It, it, it required faithfulness that you and I could not have on our own, and that Jesus, he faithfully endured. And that leads us to the second idea under this first point, is that Jesus faithfully committed or completed his mission. I won't, have, I won't take time to, to turn there, John chapter 17, but if you're taking notes, you might want to write down John chapter 17 there, because that's a text where Jesus is having this conversation with the Father, and He's praying to Him. And, and, and this is right before He's crucified. And what He says in John chapter 17, verse 4, He says, I have finished the work that You have given Me to do. He says, I've glorified You on the earth. I've finished the work that You have given Me to do. Wouldn't that be an awesome thing for us to be able to say at the end of our lives? I finished the work that you've given me to do. You see, Jesus, he was faithful to the end, and he faithfully completed his mission. At every turn, Jesus reminded his disciples that he was to be about his father's business. And remember, that even started early on. Do you remember the story when, when, when Jesus' family was traveling? He was about 12 years old. And remember, I mean, they, they traveled in huge family caravans. And so, you know, you know how it is in family get-togethers. All the cousins get together and they start playing. And, you know, parents don't see their kids forever. I and mean, this is probably the main reason why adults get together, right? Is so then the kids can go off by themselves for a while, okay? And so, so they do this. And I remember with my family, we get together with my cousins. And then we wouldn't see our parents all day. Maybe we'd come in, they'd throw some food at us, and we go back out, right? Okay? And so, so this is what it was like. And they're traveling. So Mary and Joseph, they, they, Jesus was with the cousins. Jesus was with the rest of the family. Well, they get to their destination, and they can't find Jesus. He's nowhere to be found. And they're asking families, where's Jesus? Where's Jesus? And they say, well, I thought he was with you, and all this stuff. So they start backtracking. They start going back. I don't know if you've ever left a child in a store. You don't have to raise your hands, okay? All right, all right. Or at church, you know, I, 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 as you know, someone who grew up in church and, and then was a youth pastor for many years, um, I, I can't tell you the number of times where parents, they had to come back or I had to call a parent and say, hey, you forgot one of your kids, you know, and, and they'd come back and then they'd get their kid and then they would leave again, you know. Well, Mary and Joseph had to go back and they go back and where do they find them? You know the story, many of you know the story. He's in the temple. 
And he's teaching, and he's asking questions, and he's answering questions, and he's having this tremendous dialogue that's going back and forth. And remember, Mary and Joseph, they had this conversation with Jesus. And you can just picture, if you're a parent, you can picture this. You're simultaneously relieved and angry, right? I'm glad you're safe. Now you're in trouble type thing, okay? You know, this is like, what are you doing? And Jesus, the Bible records for us, the Gospels record for us, that he says, don't you know that I'm about my father's business? Well, man, argue with that, right? You see, even as a child, Jesus understood that what he was to do was to do the will of the Father. In, in the incarnation that we're celebrating today, this, this Christmas birth, this was part of the mission, and it, and it wasn't easy at all. It was, it was humiliating in many ways. I think I, put this, I, I, I pointed this out last week of how the, he could have come as, as a superhero. He could have come from uh, another realm. He could have done anything he wanted, but he came as a baby. And he did this out of love, right? Love for the Father, but also love for us, love for his creation. And so Jesus, he, he faithfully completed his mission. And then I want to point out one other thing about Jesus' faithfulness before I move on to our faithfulness, and that is this, that Jesus' faithfulness passed every test. But again, this was a text from last week of Philippians chapter 2, where um, I'll just turn back to you, you don't need to, but uh, here in Philippians chapter 2, he says... Um, uh, this, he says in verse 8, he says, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And so this was a, 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 a test of Jesus' faithfulness. Remember in the Garden of Gethsemane, when he was getting ready to die, he says, Father, if there be any other way, let this cup pass from me. And what was that cup? That's an Old Testament term for the wrath of God. He understood that the wrath of God was going to be poured upon him for sin that he did not even commit. And he says, there's another way, let this cup pass from me, but nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. You see, Jesus' faithfulness was being, it was, it passed every test that came along. But let's back up before the Garden of Gethsemane. What about rejection from family? We read in the Gospels that while he was on earth, his brothers, his own half-brothers and sisters, thought he was crazy. They didn't believe in him until after the resurrection. Rejection from family. How about the many traps that were set by the Pharisees and the Sadducees in his earthly ministry? How many times did they try to trip him up? How many times did they try to get him to say one wrong thing or do something incorrect? But yet his faithfulness passed the test of rejection, passed the test of, of, of these traps that are set. What about fickle followers? People who would follow him for a short time, but then they would leave. What about the disciples who were the ones who would one day say that they were going to follow him to the ends of the earth and even die for him, and the next day they're arguing over who's going to be considered the grace in heaven? You know, he said all of Jesus' faithfulness, never once, not in the garden, not even at death, did Jesus tap out and say, okay, I'm not doing this anymore. I can't imagine the temptation of that. The frustration, how things, when it seemed like the people that should be uh, obeying or the people who should be supporting him and helping him, those closest to him, they were rejecting him. And yet, he faithfully did the will of the Father. And then his death, I, told, I talked about the garden already, and we know that it led to his death. At some moment there, when he was stretching his arms out, and they were getting ready to nail him to that cross, that could have been a moment where he says, okay, I'm done. 
could have called angels. He could have done anything he wanted. But his plan, his faithfulness was to do the will of the Father. And then there was this moment on the cross that I want to point out. He's hanging on the cross, and he cries out, and he says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You know, some people have, have criticized this. Some people have said, you know, wh why did he die so poorly? Why was he crying out? When, when they look at martyrs in church history, they say, well, man, these people were steadfast. What about Jesus? Why wasn't he? And this is being uh, sometimes laid as a criticism of Jesus' death. Some people say, well, why couldn't he die like a guy like by the name of Polycarp here? Polycarp, he lived from 69 A.D. to 155 A.D., so really not that far after the life of Jesus. Um, in fact, Polycarp was a disciple of the Apostle John, and so he was very close to Jesus, and he ended up dying. And people say, well, how come, how come Jesus couldn't have this death like Polycarp? Let me describe it for you. When he was brought before a council, and, and I know I've shared this with you uh, before, but he was given another chance to renounce his faith and escape death. And, and this is what Polycarp said. He says, uh, Eighty and six years have I served him, and he never did me any injury. How then can I blaspheme my king and my savior? And he again tried to get this old man to reject Christ by reminding him of the flames that awaited him because he was going to be burned at the stake. He says, listen, you're an older man. You don't need to die this way. You, you, you can just, just renounce Jesus and, and then you, will, you, can, you can live off the rest of your life in peace. Polycarp says, you threaten me with fire that burns for an hour and after a little while extinguishes. But you're ignorant of the fire of the coming judgment and of eternal punishment reserved for the ungodly. Then he's sentenced to die by fire when they're about ready to fix him uh, to the stake and tie him up and nail him even. He says, leave me as I am, for he that gives me strength to endure the fire will also enable me without your securing me by nails to remain without moving in the, in the pile. He says, you don't have to tie me up, I'll stand here. I mean, this is what all historians agree that this is how Polycarp died. Just steadfast, not crying out, anything else. And some people have looked at it and said, well, why is it that Jesus then when he cried out, why, was it, why didn't he die like someone like, like Polycarp? And here's the reason. It was because Jesus' death was like anything else that we could ever imagine. It wasn't just a physical death he was experiencing. He was experiencing spiritual and eternal, or not eternal, but separation from God the Father. And it was in that moment that he understood that he was going to have separation from the Father. So it wasn't about the physical death. This death that Jesus was dying here was much greater than any death that you and I will ever have to or we would have to experience because of Jesus, what he did for us. And so this is the reason why Polycarp, he could die with such steadfast faith is because of what Jesus had done for him and the death that was such a different type of death that he experienced. It was a spiritual death that he was experiencing there. But then he rose again. And so here we have Jesus' example of faithfulness. This Christmas story reminds us that when he came, he came, like Hebrews 10 says, to do the will of the Father. And that included a lot of difficult things. It wasn't just Jesus walking on water. It wasn't just him taking some loaves and some fishes and feeding everybody and making miracles. It wasn't him just healing people. In fact, if you look at the gospel accounts, there, that's not a lot of what is recorded for us. 
John records those things just simply so that we could know that he is truly the Messiah. But most of Jesus' ministry was not those big events and those things that caused people to be in wonder and awe of him. Most of his ministry was the grind of following the Father's will, plodding on to the cross. That's what he did, and he did it faithfully, perfectly. And so when we look at a manger, we say, there it is. There's Jesus, the faithful ministry that he had for us. So that's Jesus' faithfulness. What about, what about our faithfulness here? What about, what, what about our faithfulness, and how does that really? Because remember I said that Jesus' faithfulness enables our faithfulness. Let's talk about what it means to be faithful uh, for God uh, for the next few minutes here. Number one is I'm going to, what the first thing I'll say is, you know, being faithful to God really isn't complicated, okay? It's really not. It's not complicated at all. I mean, if we look at the Scriptures, it's pretty easy. I mean, it's, it's, it's pretty simple of what we're supposed to do, right? Jesus basically says, follow me. I mean, he doesn't make it too complicated. He says, if you love me, keep my commandments. Uh, we have uh, a statement over to the church office out there, love God, love people, serve the world, right? I mean, if we do this, it's not complicated. We love God, we love people, we serve the world, right? First uh, John chapter 5, verse 3 says this, for this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome, okay? And so he says, this, this is the love of God. If you want to know how to love God, obey him, right? That's it. And then he says, and the commands are not burdensome. So it's really not a complicated thing. I mean, practically speaking, we know what we should be doing, right? I mean, we're supposed to go to church. We're supposed to read our Bibles. We're supposed to love God. We're supposed to love others. How about we live by the golden rule? All these things, right, it's pretty obvious. I, anything I just said in that last couple sentences there, no one was shocked by. No one, when I said that, said, oh, I'm supposed to do that. I mean, no one did, because it's not complicated, right? But being faithful while not complicated, it's also not easy, okay? So it may be simple, but it's very difficult, right? Now, why is that? It's because we're in a spiritual battle. That's why. Hey, hey, you know, the idea, the, 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 just the whole notion, we'll just take that first one of, of going to church or whatever. That's an easy thing to do, right? I mean, everyone gets up, everyone goes to work every day, everyone does this. It's a rhythm of life, you know? I mean, it's just an easy habit to do. But why is this so difficult at times? Because it's not just a simple physical thing or a calendar thing. It's a spiritual thing that we're in. And we're in a spiritual battle, and this is one of the reasons why. I mean, and that's just one example, reading our Bible. I have never had anybody, I have never had anyone say to me, Jeremy, I don't care what you do this week, but I don't want you to read your Bible, okay? I have never had anyone say, listen, Jeremy, if you open your Bible, I'm going to beat you up. Or I am going to, you know, I have never had anyone threaten me. And I mean, has there been plenty of days where I didn't read my Bible? Yeah. Why is that? We know it's good for us. We know it's right. We know it's helpful. Because while it's not complicated, it's not easy because we're in a spiritual battle here. And so our faithfulness, while what we're called to do, it may not be something that is very complicated. It's also very, very difficult. 
And the reason why is because this is not just a matter of our will. It's not just about us saying, okay, I am going to be faithful this year. I am going to do it. Now, yes, we need to make those decisions and things like that, but it's much deeper than that. Jerry Bridges has a book called The Fruitful Life, and in it he's really talking about uh, a text from Galatians chapter 5 where it's the fruit of the Spirit, that, that's text there, and he has a book where he talks about this. Here's a quote that he has from this book. I didn't put it on the screen, so you're just going to have to listen, but here's what Bridges says. He says, you cannot become a faithful person merely by trying. There is a divine dimension, but it is also true that you um, uh, will be, uh, that you won't become a faithful person without trying. Jesus said to the church of Smyrna, be faithful even to the point of death. And we talked about that in a sermon series not too long ago. He commanded him, be faithful. This is something we must do even though it is at the same time the fruit of the Spirit. You say, well, how does that work together? I don't know. Okay. Um, I don't know. All I know is that the Bible says we got to put our human effort into it, but then we also have to understand that it's the work of the Spirit in our lives. Okay. And so, yes, we need to be faithful, but we need to recognize this is a spiritual battle that we're in. And so that leads to the final idea is that while it's not easy, faithfulness is indeed possible because it is an aspect of the fruit of the Spirit of Galatians chapter 5. You know, one of the things when Jesus was ending his earthly ministry here on earth, he talked to his disciples and he says, okay, I'm going to go away. And they were like, what? Can you imagine that? Imagine you, you're privileged to be there when the Messiah comes to earth. You're there and you get to walk with him. And you get to see him walk on water. You get to see him heal people. You get to see him do all these things. And then you're waiting. You're waiting for the kingdom to be restored, right? And you know the Messiah is here, the promised one, and you can't wait. And, and, and then one day he looks at you and says, okay, I'm taking off. Wait a minute. No, no, we're not done yet. We're, we're not done yet. You can't leave now. He says, no, no, no. I'm taking off. And then he has the audacity to say, it's actually better for you that I go. Wait a minute here. How, Jesus, how is this better that you leave when we're not done here? What is going on? And of course, he talks about the coming of the Spirit. He says, one of the reasons why it's better for me to go, and we can read about this in John 14, 15, 16, he says, one of the reasons why it's better for me to go is because the Holy Spirit's going to come. And I have been with you but He will be what? In you. The Spirit of God will indwell the lives of believers, and that is what will help enable us to live out this fruit of the Spirit, right? Then one of those, the aspects of the fruit of the Spirit is faithfulness. And so while there's the component of we need to make sure that we are making the human effort that we have to do that, we need to recognize at the same time that it is a dependence in the Spirit of God, it's so that we need to live a faithful life for Christ. So Jesus left this earth so that we could have the indwelling work of the Spirit in our lives. And part of that work of the Spirit is to produce faithfulness. And so like Bridges said, and again, this is another quote from that same book, he says that this is a mysterious marriage between human effort and divine enablement. There's this mysterious marriage between human effort and divine enablement. So, at this Christmas season, we're looking for the Christmas effect on us, right? We're seeing that, that there was, there's a, a joy, that we need to be, of all people, we as Christians should be the most joyful people because of the incarnation. We talked about peace and how that of all of God's people, we should have the most settled peace 
because of the incarnation. We talked about humility, that because of what Jesus did for us and the example that He leaves for us, we should be the most humble people. And then today, about faithfulness and looking at what Jesus did on, uh, in the manger and then all in His earthly life and His death and His resurrection, this idea of faithfulness. When we look at the manger, when we look and we celebrate our Christmas uh, uh, traditions this year, Jesus' faithfulness should be in the first uh, uh, forefront of our minds. And that should produce in our lives and influence us towards a faithful life of service to God. So you remember that, uh, myth, uh, that book, the David Mathis book that I talked about at the beginning? Um, as I draw this to a close, let me quote from it one more time. He said this, This Christmas will change you. You will not be the same afterwards. You will be the better for it, or the worse? Will you be closer to Christ because of this Christmas or further away? Will your heart be softer to Him or more callous? Will more fog lie between your face and His face, or will you see Him with greater clarity and savor Him with greater fervor? Will you know and enjoy Jesus more? And then he ends that section with, let's not go through the motions. And one of the things that we need to take away from this is that when we look at Jesus' faithfulness, we see that it enables our faithfulness. And part of His faithfulness was the incarnation. And we should find tremendous motivation for our own faithful living of Christ. That mysterious union between, and marriage between human effort and dependence on the Spirit of God. So how, why is it that this should be, why should it impact our, our faithful lives so much? I've got a couple things to share, just sentences to read. If Jesus found joy and satisfaction in a faithful life for God, then we can be sure that faithfulness to God is the place for us to find joy and satisfaction. If this is what Jesus found tremendous joy and satisfaction in, in a faithful life of God, I have come to do your will, Hebrews chapter 10. My, my food is to do the will of the Father who sent me. If he found joy and satisfaction in that, we can be sure that our true joy and satisfaction can be found in the same place. The Westminster Confession from 1647 says this, and it was put on the screen earlier, what is the chief and, chief and highest end of man? Man's chief and highest end is to glorify God and to fully enjoy Him forever. If we're going to enjoy life, it's through faithfulness in Christ. That's where Jesus found it. Secondly, it's only in Jesus that we find our true purpose in life. We can't be faithful if we don't know what our purpose is. It's only in Jesus where we find our true purpose in life. And then lastly, only Jesus brings true heart transformation. And this is what we've been talking about for this whole sermon series. We're not talking about merely changing our behaviors. We're talking about true change, true heart change. And it's really like putting on glasses for the first time and seeing things clearly. It's like when you go to the movie theater and they have the 3D and you got to wear the glasses and, and if you uh, take those off during the movie, things look really weird, right? And everything. And then you put them back on and all of a sudden things are really clear and three-dimensional. That's what it's like to live with and without the gospel of Christ. That's what it's like to live with and without Jesus is that you see things but it's kind of weird but once, once you see life through the lens of Jesus Christ, man, life looks completely different. And all of a sudden, the priorities and things just fall into place. Only Jesus brings this true heart transformation. And I just want to end with this. Is that we can't and we don't stay faithful out of fear. We stay faithful out of love. 
out of God's love for us, but out of our love for God. Relishing God's love for us and loving Him supremely. So we've talked about faithfulness. We're going to transition to having the Lord's Supper here. 